Hallelujah. I don't know if you came here this Sunday expecting to see a man of color up here. But whatever. <laughs> Look at your bulletins for a minute. Just take your bulletins out. Look at the section that says prayer request for the church body. You see that? I don't know if you're like me, but I don't leave my bulletins in the pews, and I would encourage you not to. If you don't want to take them home, there's a trash can in the back. You can just drop them in. But we have a lot of dedicated people who go around every Sunday morning picking up trash and things, and we'd like to take a little burden off of them too. But look at that prayer request. I've got in my Bible from two or three years back certain bulletins that I've wrote a few notes on and I just hold on to. But this week I, I took particular interest in looking and counting the number of names on the prayer request. All the, those that are there. And, and about two years ago, my bulletin showed that there was about 110, something like that. Well, this past week, I showed, you know, I counted on, a, it was just under 150. And the thought just came to my mind, and, and I noticed how many were there, and I, many have been on that list for many months. Many have been on that list for many years. And the thought came across my mind, I know it wasn't from God, but it was from the enemy, he says, uh, God really doesn't hear your prayer. Why do you spend time in praying? And the Holy Spirit just quickened my heart and said, no, that is definitely from the enemy. He does hear your prayer. And he encourages you to lift each other in prayer. In fact, the Bible tells us to pray one for another. Yet I do know for a fact that there could be almost twice as many names on those lists. You know, a lot of them, a lot of people have spiritual, mental, or physical mal maladies who for whatever reason choose not to make their concerns known to the body, but they too are in need of prayer. For some, it's a matter of not wishing to be a burden on the body. James 5.16 tells us to pray one for another and that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What makes a prayer effective? Praying the will of God. There are many things in the Bible which teaches us what God is concerned about. You pray one for another with those things in mind. In other words, if those who live a God-honoring lifestyle would pray and intercede on 
your behalf, God would hear them and cause the necessary changes in your life, in your mental state, in your physical bodies to take place. So honor the Lord by committing to follow his word and seek to do his will. For others, however, whose names do not find their way in the bulletin, it may be that they are victims of what I call guilt. Because a lot of what they're going through, they probably feel as though they brought on themselves. It's a product of some thought, some deed, or something they've done in their past life. I know I was feeling some of those things years ago. In my early walk with the Lord, I felt that some of the things that I was facing, that I was coming up against, was because of my former lifestyle and things that I used to habitually do. I won't name them all for fear they might get out in the public and then... And I know it's covered under the blood now. You see, not wanting people to know some of the dark sides of our life. In many cases, it's good sound judgment not to broadcast. But you can ask people to pray for you. You can encourage people as you pray for them to pray for you without explaining all the details. God knows. He knows all about your problems. He knows all about your situation. And the reason I think a lot of that takes place is a simple five-little letter word called pride. We don't want to share with others. The Bible says that pride goes before the fall. I believe pride does something even greater than that. I think pride creates an unteachable spirit. Think about that. When we go about prideful in the way we behave, who can tell us anything? I know a lot of husbands find that to be true about their wives. You never listen to me, right? Well, a lot of times, it's just the reverse. You never listen to her. God is good. Romans 8.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So none of us are without sin. None of us are without having a past. But when you come to Christ, that past is wiped clean. It no longer will come up against you in judgment. Christ has done that for us. I soon learned that that thought was not true and it was directly from the enemy of our souls whose desire it was to torment torment those in Christ with guilt, thereby making them impotent in the work God has laid out for them in life. Meaning, 
you just keep your mouth shut. And therefore, God can't work through you to encourage those who need the encouragement. But praise God for Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Hallelujah. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, before we come to Christ, we had, like the song says, a debt we could not pay. And Christ, he had a debt He didn't owe, but he paid the debt for you and for me. So therefore, we don't owe for those sins and for the past. We can live in that freedom. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. And John 8.36 says, To whom the Son sets free, therefore, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed because of his work. See, once you've confessed your sin to God and then received his forgiveness, which is bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, God no longer will hold it against you in judgment. The question comes up, Why does bad things happen to good people? Many people have written books about that. One thing is that no one is immune to tough times. No one. Jesus puts it this way in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you shall have tribulation. That is not an if, that is not a maybe. While you're here, you will have a tribulation. And the word for tribulation here in the Hebrew is thepsis, which means anguish, affliction, burdens, persecutions, and troubles of all kinds. In this world, no one's immune to that. Yes? I think we have many out here who have experienced many times the problems of this world that you have to face. In other words, the bad news is that while we're here in this world, this world holds nothing but trouble for us. But the good news is If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then you are an overcomer. Christ says in that very verse, for I have overcome the world. You are an overcomer for he is, he who is living in you is Jehovah Jireh. He's your provider. He is Jehovah Shalom. He's your God of peace. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's your God, your healer. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's God, your companion. He's Jehovah Tiskanu. 
God, your righteousness. He's Adonai, our great Lord. He's El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. He's Elohim, God of all power. And he is Emmanuel, hallelujah, God with us. And if he's with us, he's more than those against us. And for me, I like the way Paul the Apostle puts it in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. And then in Philippians 4.13, Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or put it another way, whatever this world throws at me, I can overcome because greater is he that's in me than he who is in the world. And that's in John 4.4. And we find these also there. In this world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. This morning, I want there to be no doubt that when you face trouble, number one, it doesn't surprise you. Expect it. It's going to come. God promises that while you're here, and before you go on the glory, you're going to have to face trouble, tribulation, anguish, It could be in the form of financial difficulties. It could be in the form of personal relationships with your loved ones. And I don't care how much you love your wife or how much you love your husband. They could be the source of a lot of those troubles. But God says, I have overcome the world. And I like that that verse that says, as iron sharpens iron. I've needed sharpening many a day. All you have to do is ask my wife. We are to rub shoulders with one another because in so doing, we do sharpen our relationship with the Lord. So, don't be surprised. Secondly, you need to recognize from whence that problem comes. And I believe the Bible teaches that it can come from three distinct sources. It can come from the world around you. Can I get an amen? It can come from anything or anyone in the world. It can also come from our own flesh. Many of us have fought battles with addictions and things in our own flesh. Things don't have to be narcotics. We could be addicted to having certain relationships with people. We could be addicted of doing different things. You know, our addictions come in many forms, many shapes, many sizes. But the obvious one is going to come from the devil because his, his whole purpose 
is to destroy our relationship with God the Father. He does not want us to receive what God the Father has in store for us. So first we need to remember, if you don't remember anything else today, trouble should never surprise us. Secondly, recognize from whence trouble is coming. And thirdly, never let it get the best of us. That's not the end of the story. We are victorious in Christ because he was victorious. Never let our problems, our troubles, our relationships ever get the best of us. Seek the Lord in all things. Seek his direction. Seek his his will in all things and We will not allow Satan, the world, or our flesh to get the victories. Our central verse tells us that while we live in this world, we cannot get away from the troubles and tribulations. In our human frailties, we may want to say, Lord, why me? Why me? Why? 1996, when we went through traumatic situation in my family. My son David began the year in great spirit, had a job, was working, had just purchased on his own a brand new car. That was in January 1996. By March of 1996, he could no longer drive. He began going downhill, downhill. We took him to every specialist we knew. We took him to three different hospitals for evaluation. Finally, come June, he was so far down, he could hardly eat, he could hardly talk, he could hardly walk without stumbling and falling. We had to put him in a hospital in Trenton, the only one, he had no insurance because his job, who promised to give him insurance, never did. And so we had to put him in charity care in a Helling Full Hospital in Trenton. That was in late June. It was four months before all the tests they did, whatever, they could ever come up with any kind of answer. Four months. It was late October, very early November, when a specialist from Robert Wood Johnson up here in New Brunswick came on his own time because a friend of his was one of the physicians there at Hellingful and had asked if he had ever seen some of the symptoms that this young man had. David was 21 years of age at the time. He came down and he spent four hours of his own time talking to David, watching him, watching his mannerisms and everything else. And he came up with the diagnosis after four months. David spent almost another month in the hospital. But when he came out, he still was hardly any better. They never thought that he would be anywhere near what he is and what you see today. Oh, but God, 
God was faithful. And all the time he was sick. Oh, I forgot to tell you one very important part. Just prior to when he came down with his problems in January, he had turned his life back over to the Lord. And he came in the kitchen after being in his room reading the Bible and praying on his own. He came in the kitchen where his mother was, tears rolling down his face. He came over to his mother and he says, no matter what happens to me, I'm going to be okay. That was before he even knew he'd get to the place where he'd be incontinent, where he couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't do anything of his own. He went to all of his two sisters and his brother, one at a time, wrapped his arms around them and told them how much he loved them, how much he appreciated them. He asked their forgiveness for anything that he had ever done. But it was almost like God had placed on his heart for him to get things straight between his brothers and sister. And all that took place before he had to be institutionalized in the hospital. I remember someone approaching Carolyn and I and saying, why does this happen to you guys? Why? Now, I had been in the ministry for some 30 years, maybe 25. I had been already been a part of three different churches. And all God laid on our heart was, I'm in control. Don't look at what your eyes would tell you. Look at and feel what my spirit is telling you. And we retorted back to those people. Why not us? If in this world we're going to have tribulation, you are and so are we. And this is just part of what we have to deal with. But our confidence was in a living God. God of mercy and love. Yet as we mature in Christ-centered life, we voice our trust in a risen Savior and we grow to realize that trials and tribulations of this world were due to a fallen state of this world. Even Satan himself. And then God just put on our heart a verse that has become just a life verse for us. And I know many people many close friends of ours who have taken this verse. And once I tell you where it's from, you guys would probably be able to recite it right along with me. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, who are is that verse talking about? What it's talking about you? 
You, you, everyone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. You are the called, and you are here for his purpose, to testify of his love and what he wants to do to a fallen world. So as life seems to present itself with many strong challenges, get by yourself and pray, and pray this prayer. Lord, what are you trying to work in me to make me a stronger witness for the gospel and for the kingdom of God? You earnestly ask God that question. And without a doubt, everyone who will, he will show you what he wants to teach you through every situation you're going through. Nothing happens to a Christian by chance. Nothing. Notice it says, it doesn't say that all things are good. That happens to you. It doesn't say that. But it says that all things will work together for good. The fact that some people walking around on one limb walking around, and some people can't hardly talk. Some people have difficulty even breathing, whatever. They're not good situations. But be assured, God will work all of that for your good. It may be that whatever you're going through will allow you to speak to someone who's going through the same thing and who needs your encouragement. They need to know that they're not alone. And tell me which is the best scenario. That you get healed and live in this world perfectly, no problems, no situations. Is that the best situation? Or is it that once you leave this world, eternity is a long time that you live in eternity with your loving God. So sometimes the perfect healing doesn't come on the side. It only comes after. Don't stop praying for your healing. We continue to pray for our physical and mental and spiritual healings, but God knows what you actually need. We only know what we want out of life. Remember, Satan is a defeated foe. And he can do nothing to you without God being aware of what you're facing. He knows just where you are and he knows just what you need. What did God tell Solomon in Second Chronicles 7, 14? And this was a verse that became very important in my life back in the 70s. It was one of the, the challenging verses that we, when we had New Jersey for Jesus, you know, this was one year the prime verse, if my people 
which are called by my name, will, will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That was God speaking to Samuel in response to Samuel's prayer to him in verse in chapter 6. If my people, Samuel, or not Samuel, Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. It was the first time Israel had a king that was related to the previous king. Remember, Saul was the first king. And God had to replace him because he was disobedient. And he raised up a young boy, David. And David became to become king of Israel. Solomon was only 20 years old when God put him in the kingship. Notice what it says, if my people, my people, my people are all those who received Christ in today's language. Back then it was all the Israelites. Now, his people, God's people, are those who have received Jesus Christ in their heart. Shall humble themselves. What does it mean to humble yourself? Well, from what I gather, it means to have a proper attitude toward our Creator without pride or showing that we are undeserving of his grace and his salvation. We don't deserve anything God has in store for us. He gave it to us. He does it for us because of his tremendous love for us. So tremendous what is his love that he sent his son into this world to be tortured, to be persecuted, to, to die to shed his blood for you and for I. What a love God has. To humble yourselves and pray, that is to have supplication or humble communication with the Father verbally in your thoughts. Scripture says that man ought always to pray. And that means fervently, eagerly, and passionately always with the expectation of receiving from God what you've asked for. For if you pray with doubt, you're not going to get it. But you pray with the knowledge that God hears you and God wants to hear from you. Remember, when you pray in concert with the Spirit of God, He will hear and grant you your petition that is an effective prayer because you are praying the will of the Father. So if you're praying for what he wants to happen, he will give you what you ask for. And seek his face, that is to seek the answers from God and turn from your wicked ways. You say, well, wait a minute, I don't think I'm doing wicked things. Well, Anything that's sinful is wicked and 
Without Christ, we are wicked and in need of his direction. Then be willing to turn from those ways. If even today we are willing to do all that, all that, then his promise is ours to claim as well as it was Solomon's to claim. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how desperately do we want to live a God-centered, God-pleasing life? Do we want to put our selfish desires on the throne above God's wishes? Or do we want to release it all to him? Are we willing to give up our will for his will to be done in our lives? If we really want to please him, then we will search his word on a regular basis, hopefully a daily basis. And when we read his word and read what he's asked us to do, follow his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does that word circumspect mean? I have to admit, until this week, I never looked that word up. I've read it, I've, I've quoted it many times, but I, I figured I needed to look it up just to see what Webster says about it. And it means to be attentive and aware of the consequences for our behavior. In other words, when we walk, when we live in this world, we need to be aware of our own personal behavior, whether it coincides with the will of God or not. We need to know that God is pleased with the way we're thinking, with the way we're, we're talking to people, with what we're doing. And it says, redeeming the time. Now, the word redeem, most of us think it's, it's buying back something, you know, or, uh, well, just buying back something. And in, in, in a way, that's exactly what it means, but it, it means more specifically, to take back full possession of. Take back full possession of the time in this world that God has granted unto you. Take back the possession by doing it his way and not our own. So strive to live a God-honoring, God-pleasing life every day, every minute of the day, thereby redeeming the time. And there's one last thing that I want you to put on your heart and mind. Romans 8, 35 to 39. And I want you to make it a point for you to read that section of Scripture on a regular basis that it might just be etched in your heart and your mind. And the New King James Version reads this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation, which we face every day, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't normally read from the New Living Translation, but I, I'd just like to bring that in on those few verses. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Even the scripture says, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels can't. And demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or even powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest oceans, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. What a promise. To recap just a few points, couple things don't ever forget. Number one, when anguish or afflictions or persecutions or tribulations or trouble of any kind comes against you, remember John 16, 31, in this world you will have tribulation. But never forget the second part of that verse. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And Psalm 34, 19 underscores that and it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's his promise. You can trust it, you can believe it. So when tribulation comes, do not be surprised. Know that your victory is on its way. Recognize from whence it come, either from the world or our own fleshly desires or directly from the devil, and determine in your heart that it should never get the best of you. And then finally, 
a verse many of you have quoted and you've heard many times in your life, Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And that's the New King James Version. And the New Translation, New Living Translation puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will direct your paths. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn your back on evil. Then you will gain renewed health and vitality. I thank God for his word this morning. As I was listening to a minister on TV getting dressed this morning, one little word jumped out at me. The word pride. The Bible tells us that pride goes before the fall. And then I realized, you know, pride creates an unteachable spirit. Don't get caught up in your own selfish pride. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God.